Uh, let me say a word of prayer for the service. And then um, I'm going to read this morning's scripture. Uh, yes, and Gene Sue also said it's air conditioned. Praise God for that. Um, so that's a great thing. Uh, great, 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 great thing. Uh, let me say a word of prayer. I'm going to read scripture and then uh, I'll also lead us to the Lord's Supper. But we are so fortunate and blessed to have our sister Rinalda uh, preach this morning and continue us through uh, the book of Acts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, for thank you uh, for this time that you've given to us today. Lord, as excited as I am, as, as anxious and, and, and uh, as much as we're anticipating next week, God, we stop and we thank you for right now. Lord, we thank you for this technology. We thank you for the people on this call. God, we thank you for uh, truly, even as, as distant as Zoom can feel, the, the, the gift of being able to see one another, to share things in the chat, Lord, to fellowship together. And so, God, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to be with us, the service, be with Ronalda as she preaches, uh, be, with, be with your people as we commune together at the Lord's table. Lord, may you be glorified every step of the way uh, in this service. So, God, we give this to you. We thank you for this, and we pray these things together. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning's passage comes from Acts chapter 16. The verses are 9 through 19. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Tros, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Um, there's a lot going on here. Um, I, have a, I have a thing that says unmute myself, but I'm already unmuted. Do you hear me? Okay. I don't know why this is up. Um, but yeah, coming from a, a, a theater background <laughs> and being very familiar with drama and um, conflict and 
everything that's involved with it to crisis period to resolution of things. I mean, as we've seen so far since January, I mean, the book of Acts is just full of it, right? Full of drama. Um, sometimes it's, it's called the book, the Acts of the Apostles, but I'm sure that we could all agree that it really is the acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the Spirit of Jesus working through the apostles. And today, as I um, share this, this word, it's a very simple but not easy word um, that God has for us individually and as a church. Um, and it has to do with how we speak about Jesus to others. Um, over the past, I would say, three decades, um, thinking back to 1991, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, at that time, uh, evangelism was very, very strong. You know, people were out on the the corners and, and signs. And I think you might once in a while see a sign somewhere around Times Square saying, repent, you know, go to hell, you know, you're going to go to hell. And I, I think it's in the subway somewhere. I've seen it still, um, but it's not as common as it used to be. And I've watched from my small corner of the world in perspective, how evangelism and how we speak about Jesus has changed a lot since then. Um, I remember uh, the church I was at, we didn't want to be like those, like, you know, Bible thumpers hit you over the head with the Bible and put the fear of God in you that you're going to go to hell if you don't, you know, accept the Lord. We were coming more from of the love of Jesus rather than the punishment for, you know, not coming to be saved. Um, I know my own grandfather, his, the way that he became saved was that three of his brothers died on a shipwreck and his parents were Christians, but he wasn't interested in what they had to say until his brothers died. There's something about death, right, in the family that kind of reminds us of our mortality. And we start to question, okay, like what happens, if anything, after that, after we die? But he writes through a tape because he was blind. It, his, his book was like uh, dictated through tape and transcribed. He, he said, I was afraid of going to hell. And that's why I said, God, please save me. Please take me. Um, and so, you know, that to me is like one extreme of it. And then we move a little bit more towards center and say, if we set up the scale of where one is the harsh, harsh, or maybe it should be the other way around. 10 is the harsh, 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 you know, hit you on the Bible, you're going to hell. And one is kind of like, you know, let's have tea. Uh, <laughs> let me, you know, get to know you. I don't want to offend you. Uh, you know, all nicey, nicey, da, 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 da. And maybe 
maybe there'll be an opportunity for me to say something. But even in that, I'm not going to say something too strong. Right? Um, I don't want to turn this person away. Um, but what I think has happened, what I'm sensing is that there's something like zero now, if that could be on the scale <laughs> below one, of where it's like there's almost no talking about Jesus to anybody because of the culture that we lived in that has just so, you know, bashed Christians and and with good reason. I mean, we have to admit, right, guys, let's own up. Like there, there have been some really... I'm just going to say it like really insensitive um, things that we've done and we've said as Christians, um, <laughs> going back to the Inquisition, you know, <laughs> um, to that period in between of the extreme. Um, I, I remember, I, I, I'm going to confess to you that back in the early days of the 90s of when I was just like newly back to the Lord and on fire, I was so insensitive um, to friends of ours who were into new age, decided that they would love to come and try our church. And we were so excited. It's like, oh, we've got, we've got two, you know, like they're coming in and you know, we get them in the net and then like, yeah. Um, when they came, one of them had breast cancer. And I, and I, I feel, I feel really, I mean, you know, I, I don't beat myself up about it. I, I asked the Lord's forgiveness and the person's forgiveness long ago, but I said to this person, that you probably have breast cancer because you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think back about saying that to someone and how insensitive, hurtful, and unchristlike that was. But at the time, I thought it was Christ-like because I just thought, Christ said, go make disciples and do this and that and the other. And then I add all my other stuff in there. Like, I don't know why. And that's not for me to know. I'm supposed to, we're supposed to share God's love and compassion for people, you know? Um, so this message that the, the Lord <laughs> spoke to my heart, and I believe, I mean, I sorted out what I felt was, he wanted for all of us and what was like personal, you know, for me um, is that as a church, we've been watching the church through acts. And to me, you know, when I read acts, I look at acts like it's um, like a family album and a family history because it is right. In a sense, it's our Christian family history. And one of the things that I like to do in my blood family history is look at pictures of relatives and look at what they did and then also try to learn lessons from mistakes that they made and also the things that they did that were good and in this looking looking back I, I look at this the scripture passage as like our brother Paul 
and you know, Luke has joined us in this journey. Um, when we get to the scripture, we'll see where he starts using um, the plural pronoun we, you know, we first person. But he, you know, we've got to speak about Jesus. And I feel like what God is saying through the scripture to us, he's saying oh, there are a lot of things going on. But particularly this area is what I sense the Lord zooming in with us. So if we could go to um, Acts chapter 16, verse 13, and Luke writes, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Uh, first thing, just like for context, usually we've noticed on the Sabbath, it's like, Paul and his guys would be going to a synagogue, right? Well, in this particular place, Philippi in um, Macedonia, it's one of the leading cities there. They didn't have any synagogues because there weren't that many Jewish people there. And it's been suggested that uh, you need 10 men to form a synagogue. So what happened with these few Jewish people that are there, they would meet by the river to pray together. So that's why we see uh, Paul and his crew going down to the river, looking for a place that they expected to see people praying. He goes on to say, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now that right there, I mean, that's revolutionary <laughs> because Paul, when you think about it, and his background, Pharisees had women and men separated, right? And so for, for Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas to sit down with a group of women, I go, wow, well, what's going on here? Um, but Paul is doing a lot of revolutionary things, right? Like, after preaching to the Jewish peoples, preaching to the Gentiles. Um, so I, I, I think it's God's spirit, like progressively forming and shaping Paul more into Jesus's image um, and making him more compassionate and less like he was with Remember, we talked about John Mark and how harsh he was with him. But we see and we'll continue to see that he continues to like soften, you know, and develop such a love like Christ for God's people and those that aren't his people that, you know, it's God working. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, so then Luke continues his narrative and he says that one of those women that were listening is named Lydia. She was a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God and a worshiper of God was simply someone who believed, um, about the true God of the Jewish people and followed the moral uh, doctrines and um, 
read scripture, but she was not a converted uh, Judea, you know, into Judaism or Christianity. Um, and then Luke says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message about the gospel of Jesus. I want to read that again, because that really stopped me in my tracks, in my study. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message about the gospel. No human being, none of us can open another person's heart. I was being silly. You don't notice I get silly sometimes. And I get, I'm silly with the Lord sometimes. And I was like, yeah, except for a surgeon, but that's a physical heart. So we're not really talking about a physical heart, but spiritually, only the Holy Spirit and the Lord can open a human heart. And then I began to think about this idea. We go back into the beginning of verse 13, where Luke is saying, we sat down and we began to speak. Speak jumps out. We began to speak to the woman. And so it's like the Lord was showing me, it's like the speaking is important too, even though the speaking doesn't save us. But the speaking is what God uses for people to hear. And when he opens their heart to understand what they've heard. Um, I'm thinking about the scripture where um, it's, it's Romans, Romans 10, where it's, it's about like, um, if, if the person uh, doesn't hear, then how are they going to believe? And how are they going to believe, you know, if, if the spirit doesn't hear? And, you know, I thought about that. It's like, it's so important that we speak. And the fact that so many of us, I, I don't know about you guys here, but in the Christian world, so to speak, have stopped speaking about Jesus. And so what's happening then? Um, I mean, for one, speaking and preaching the gospel was one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit grew his church, right? So what's happening to the church if, if we're not speaking? You know, I, I question that. And then I think about, I think about Hope Hell's Kitchen and I, I love our church. I, I just feel like it's like, you know, when you have a new, well, not everybody knows. And, and Pierce and uh, Pastor Chuck and I can't see any other gentleman, but like when you have a baby, well, you, some of you, you know, you have this newborn baby and you want to be very careful, like not to drop it, <laughs> not to hurt it. You want to nurture it. And that's how I feel about like Hope Hill's Kitchen. It's like, this beautiful baby church that the Holy Spirit birthed and just being so excited to be a part of this family and this new birth and just seeking the Holy Spirit on how 
He wants to nurture and grow it. And one of the things he showed me is that we've got to make sure that we don't stop speaking about Jesus to people. Right? Because if we do, I'm sure the Lord will find another way, but (laughs) that's not the way he planned it and the way he's showing us through the book of Acts. Now, the question is, though, it's like, how do we do it, right? Like, how do we do it in a culture that's hostile to Christianity? And I have to tell you, though, like, I am sort of, I am very head shy in terms of speaking about Jesus because I have felt the rejection, you know, from people from cursing, like fierce cursing, (laughs) just to the mention of Jesus or like heckle, you know, like you, Jesus, you know. Um, And so I'm head shy. You know, I'm going to admit that, but I don't want the head shyness and God doesn't want the head shyness to stop me from doing something that is supposed to be so natural for us as newborn Christians and newborn babies, right? So what happened? I kind of feel like, like God wants to restore that through us, but in a loving way. And I was sharing um, with Pastor Chuck that I just felt the Lord place on my heart to, uh, after Labor Day, do a four-week group study discussion on a book called The Unbelievable Gospel uh, by Jonathan Dotson. And the four weeks would cover some of these angsts, issues that some of us may have. Uh, Week one, why people find the gospel unbelievable. Week two, defeaters reason not to share the gospel. Three, re-evangelization, recovering the gospel. And then metaphors, which is a really cool concept that I want to learn more with and not just by myself, but with my family (laughs) together, where we can learn together with this. And then the last part of of the study is spirit-led witness. And that's what we're all about at Hope Hell's Kitchen, one of our values, right? Spirit-led fearlessness. And so please be praying about that and praying for our church in this area. Um, and we'll hear more about it, but I just want to leave you with, as I was uh, reading this, I mean, the whole idea, what I, I sense God saying is speak about Jesus, but speak about Jesus, knowing that it's the Lord who opens hearts. And that's different, right? Than going in and feeling the weight of the pressure, oh, if I get this right or don't get this right or whatever. No, it's all, it's not about that. It's just about being a witness. It's like, um, you know, being in court and there's a witness on the stand and they're just asked to say what they saw, right? Or what they heard. That's all we have to do. The Lord is sharing with me and for me too. Because this is something that I'm like being challenged and, and growing and want to grow in. Um, 
But it's just, when you think about it that way, like, yeah. I mean, how often do we go and we go like, oh man, did you see that sale at Target on, you know, whatever is your favorite product? We're witnessing, we're witnessing about whatever that product is, but just kind of slip Jesus in. And what we want to do when we do this four-week group is look at why things change, right? When it's Jesus in there. And some of it we talked about, some of it's obvious, but some of it's not. And so those are some of the things we want to explore as well with God and in prayer and just come out more more willing and it's something that we'll grow in and we can support each other in it and we can practice with each other, which is so cool. I'm so excited about it. But speak about Jesus, knowing it's the Lord who opens hearts. And I want to add to that. I sense the Holy Spirit saying that, and it's no accident that he named us Hope Hell's Kitchen hope. And this morning, Pastor Chuck, you mentioned hope. Um, we know there's so much hopelessness in the world with all the suicides, the violence, you name it. It's just, it's just a mess. And people are feeling hopeless. And the Holy Spirit has planted Hope Hell's Kitchen in the midst of Hell's Kitchen a lot of hopeless people experiencing hope. I just, just want to share this um, story. And it, it, it's from a book called Hope is Contagious. It's by um, a pastor and former football player, Ken Hutcherson. And he shares his personal journey of facing terminal illness in the process of battling cancer. He heard a story that reflects how we often lose hope in our trials. Henderson said a disturbing report hit the news about this little boy in Chicago who was shot. We hear this kind of story too much these days, but this little boy was permanently disabled in a drive-by shooting. The fact alone is awful enough, but the reporter went on to say that everybody in the neighborhood knew who the shooter was, but nobody came forward to identify him. The boy's mother even acknowledged that she drove the shooters by the shooter's house every day on the way to work. But what caught my attention, Hutcherson said, were the words of an educator from Chicago who was interviewed by the reporter. And the quote went something like this, quote, that's what happens when people lose hope. You don't, things will, you don't think things will get better. So you just give up. Hutchinson says, you know, I don't want to see anyone give up on hope. I don't want to see anyone give up hope. And I know none of you want to see anybody give up hope, especially when hope 
we know, we Christians, we know we have a hope that's so, so readily within our grasp. And I want to say even more than that, it's like in our hearts. And no tragedy, no matter how painful, because we're not talking about no pain, you know, we're talking about hope. Oftentimes, that's when hope is the most evident and strongest is in the most painful moments of a Christian. Yeah, I think about um, there's a lot of people that I know who have passed or who are near death. And those of us that are Christians and like when my mom died, I remember saying, you know, it hurts and I grieve, but I grieve with hope. I grieve different than people who don't have the hope that Jesus offers us. And even at one of our funerals, there were a lot of um, unbelievers at the funeral, but the funeral um, glorified God and Jesus. And they actually saw and commented on how this was like a different kind of funeral that they're used to going to. And that they could see the sorrow, but they also saw something else, which was so weird to them, <laughs> you know? So I'm so grateful for this kind of hope, this uncanny hope to the world kind of thing that God has given us. And I just pray that this neighborhood and this city will see it in us, that we would reflect Christ and his hope. And I know we can do this together because we can't do this alone. This is a community thing. This is a family thing and the Holy Spirit. There's people around us who don't know Jesus. We know that. And my question for us is, have we prayed about who God might call us to speak about Jesus to and his gospel of love? And if not, I invite you to do that. It's such a simple thing. Like, even if you're the kind of person that needs to write it down in your calendar. Please do it. It's simple, but it is powerful. And then when you sense the Lord, like bringing someone to mind, if you need courage, pray for courage. <laughs> And go to them and listen. Listen to them. And then, and that takes stillness. So that, that means it's like 
we're really listening. We're not thinking about what we're going to say, right? Like really listen. And in that stillness, the Holy Spirit will let you know or show you something that the person said. And when you speak, speak knowing that it's the Lord who opens hearts and gives hope. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit, spirit of Jesus. And thank you, Father, for this whole plan of yours <laughs> to redeem all of creation and us. In the now and not yet. Help us with this. You know how challenging it can be for us. But help us. To speak. Knowing that you open hearts. It's not on us. It's not our job. It's not our work. It's your work. And that what we say could really change someone's life forever and we don't even know it. So often we really don't know how you work through us and impact people because we feel so inadequate sometimes. <laughs> but we're on this journey with you. We trust you. We love you. Just help us to do this. In becoming more like you, Jesus, who you were able to talk to anybody and you did it in such a loving, sensitive way. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ronaldo. As we um, as we prepare now for the table. Uh, I just, I think um, we prepare really resting on the hope that Ronaldo shared with us that <clears throat> the Lord's table, as I say often, and as you know, um, the table is a table of reconciliation and uh, reconciliation is rooted in hope hope that brother and sister and neighbor can be reconciled with one another, hope that we can be reconciled, that we are reconciled with our God, with creator. And so when we come to this table, we come with that kind of hope as well. And as we read, as you will hear, as you hear me read from the scripture to set the table, we also hope, uh, we place our hope in the return of Jesus in his second return and when we come to this table, we come to this table with all of these things, with our repentance, with our, with our hope, with our expectancy for God to work today. But we come with our hope and our expectancy for God to return to this world and to wipe away every tear and to wipe away all pain and to wipe away all death as he creates the new heavens and the new earth that we see in the book of Revelation. And so that's what this table is. 
all this hope that Ronaldo showed us, all this hope that Ronaldo pointed us toward, we come to this table expectant for that hope, rooted in that hope, all focus on the hope of Jesus's return. So as you think about this passage, as you think about Ronaldo's message, as you think about this hope, and maybe even as you think about people that you might need to have a little bit deeper hope for, for the Lord to open their hearts. Let's take a moment of silence for a brief moment of silence. As we prepare for this table, reflect on these things, offer up your own prayers, your own questions, your own frustrations, your own repentance, offer all of these things to God, and we'll come back uh, to commune together.